0: Hello ladies and gents, welcome to in-between episode number two. I'm sharing this episode today in the name of interspersing those long format conversations that playing in a game is well known for with shorter, more bite-sized episodes that are more digestible that you can pick up on the go when you've just got a short window of time. And hopefully by upping the frequency, I can deliver you guys twice as much value as I'm currently doing. You know I'm a lover of long format podcasts and most of my listeners are too, but even I sometimes find myself craving a shorter, more digestible, more snackable piece of wisdom or story or a lesson that I can just pick up and weave into my day. So without further ado, this is taken from an interview I did with the RTHK Radio 3, which was aimed at a bit of a younger audience and allowed me to reminisce on my professional football career, the path I've taken thus far, the path less traveled. Hopefully there are some valuable lessons from what I've learned playing professional sport that you can take and apply to your own lives too. Take care and much love.
1: All right, Michael, <laughs> give everyone a brief rundown of, I guess, what you do day-to-day now and, and a brief history of your sporting career.
0: Sure. I guess day-to-day now is uh it into three buckets i build i learn and i teach so i'm an entrepreneur for the last six or seven years since i retired from professional football i've been building a luxury japanese sake brand Uh, with regards to the learning i host a self-development and business podcast called playing the inner game which is all about me interviewing people who are more successful more good looking more famous better than i am on every dimension and just learning everything i can from them absorbing all of their wisdom and, and giving it to my audience so I've had some some fantastic names on that podcast and then I take everything that I've learned from the world of business from the world of sport from the podcast and I teach Uh, I do corporate training for large investment banks for startups for universities and schools and also do some one-to-one executive coaching as well but this is sports fix so with regards to sports you know I I am an ex-professional footballer I was very fortunate enough to to represent Hong Kong national team a couple of times I was born and raised in Hong Kong as a, as a fairly typical international school kid. Even if my route to professional football was was very circuitous, I didn't go the conventional route to, to playing professional football. And of course, I'm happy to get into
1: that as well. Very good. I don't believe you on the better looking part. <laughs> Face for radio, which is why we're doing this. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but which one of your guests or what has one person said that has perhaps been so poignant that you can, mm-hmm. that is now lives with you day to day. Is is that an easy question to answer?
0: Yeah, it's not an easy question. and It is at the same time because I'm sure you experience the same thing. Every single guest that I've had on the show has left some kind of imprint on me. I, I say I carry their words like talismans, and you never know when it'll come to you. But there'll will be a moment in time you'll be, you'll find yourself in a situation where the words of a certain guest will will just emerge from the depths and and they'll resonate with you and. And, you know, I can't necessarily put my finger on on one right now, but like anything in life, it's, you know, sometimes people they say, for example, why do I read a book? Why do I read a book? Because my capacity to retain the information is is so limited. I, I seem to almost forget everything that I've read, but that's not true. It leaves a mark. It leaves a stain on you, whether you realize it or not. And you've absorbed some of that philosophy. It just becomes a part of you. So. I think just being able to absorb all that wisdom by osmosis on the podcast, it's, it's single-handedly the best thing I do. It makes me zero revenue. I do no advertising on the show. There's no commercial component to it. Um, but every single guest has left left a mark on me in a very positive way.
1: Brilliant, brilliant answer. And uh, yeah, resonate everything <laughs> you just said. There are certain things people say that you don't, don't expect. Um, yeah. They stick out when you at least expect them to. So take us back to your school years. You played football for the most part, but how did the rest I of your did. School, um, marks look like?
0: Yeah, I think no. I was I was always a talented sportsman, and we can unpack that word talent for what it actually means and is. Um, I was a good all rounder, but football was always the thing I was best at. It's the thing I was most well known for, I suppose. I, I captain's you know primary school captain, secondary school. It was somewhat preordained that I would play professional football, I think, by a lot of people. To what level? That was, you know, that was always up in the air. That was always the question mark. But, you know, if if enough people say the same thing enough times over and over, maybe you start to believe it. Um, But I loved golf. I loved tennis. If if there was a ball to be kicked or thrown or, you know, I I would pick it up and play it. So I I loved sport. Um, Swimming was probably my weak point. I think I, I looked more like I was drowning than swimming. But anything on land, anything <laughs> land-based, I was I was fairly handy. Um, yeah, I played professional football not until my mid twenties. I didn't I didn't get to professional football till I was about twenty six, and the reason I, that happened, I think, is. You know when i was a teenager i had trials with with professional clubs in the uk so derby county nottingham forest Notts county um i play i was attached to the hong kong national team as well at under 16 and under 18 level but i took the decision to the very considered decision to follow the academic route uh, and i went to university in the uk and basically shelved all dreams of playing professional football when i was 17 18 i actually remember sending an email it still exists in my old hotmail account if i go back into it Uh, the email to my coach of the Hong Kong national team, which I put together with my dad explaining, you know, very heartfelt in a heartfelt way that I appreciated the support and the encouragement. And I felt like I was doing well, but I was going to choose academics. And I had to basically give up um, the commitment to, to playing for the national team because it's so much, right? Balancing with your academics and, and the commitment of training several times a week. And quite often in God knows where in the new territories and shuttling back and forth. And so I made the decision to, to focus on my exams went to university and I actually got into investment banking uh, in my early 20s before uh, realizing, I think, in my mid-20s that that wasn't the path for me. I always played semi-professional, you know, during my time in the UK, so it was always on the back burner. I was keeping fairly sharp and keeping fit, but it was very far removed from the world of, you know, playing for the national team and and playing in big stadiums. It It was fairly unglamorous stuff, yeah.
1: When you were playing in the UK, and you had a different mindset Mm. did you enjoy it more or because you weren't perhaps striving did you enjoy it less it's a great question
0: it's a great question i've fallen in and out of love with football so many times Mm. of course of my life to be completely honest with you and i think in terms of advice for for kids maybe younger people who are listening to this show i would just say that following your passion is both good advice and bad advice at the same time so what do i mean by that i ended up quitting investment banking in my mid-20s took a year out to go to whistler which we mentioned at the start to learn how to snowboard and really introspect about what i wanted in life and i ended up moving back to hong kong and ended up winning a professional football contract you know i think it was on my 26th birthday so That was after years of shelving any dreams of playing playing professional football, and yes, I was to your to your question. I was enjoying football. Uh, I think once you make your passion your profession, that is when it changes for me. So I would say I really enjoyed the first couple of years playing professionally. The second half of my career, I didn't enjoy it. To be perfectly honest, I was injured a lot of the time. The The constant desire to push your body to its limits when maybe it can't go any further um, puts you through a lot of pain, uh, physically and emotionally. Uh, It becomes all about winning uh, and less about enjoyment and the aesthetics of the game, which I always enjoyed. So am I proud of what I achieved as a professional footballer? Absolutely. But can I be honest and say that I enjoyed every single moment of it? Definitely. Definitely not.
1: We now welcome back Michael Campion to the show. He joins us via Zoom. I think people should go in with, with eyes wide open when, when they
0: think about professional sport. I think I'm I'm glad and I'm proud that I achieved some version of my dream. I achieved a version of my dream. I wanted to play for England. I wanted to play for, you know, in the in the English Premier League. I ended up playing for Hong Kong and then the Hong Kong Premier League. Not bad. It's, it's,
1: it's more That's than most, a, most young, young boys and girls could wish for. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting story. I've also, I, I want you to to dig into your Whistler trip a little bit more because of nobody is telling anyone in Hong Kong, particularly when they're in school or even just out of university, to take a year off and and see how you mm. think. But you've stayed yeah. the best thing you ever did. So yeah, absolutely, best
0: thing I've ever done. Yeah, best thing I've ever done. I think was was having that quarter life crisis, as I put it, at the age of twenty five. Far better than having a midlife crisis when you're fifty and buying a Porsche and doing all of those things. So. I think the value of taking time away from your usual environment to learn a new skill, which for me was snowboarding, could be skiing, could be surfing, insert anything you want into that gap there. But taking that year off to really introspect and reflect on what I wanted, what I was good at, what mattered to me. I realized that I didn't need a lot to be happy, I think was the most valuable thing that I learned. I was working in a retail store, folding clothes, selling clothes, any spare time. I was up on the mountain. I think I snowboarded 75 days, 75 days in one season. So I've compressed essentially, you know, 20 years of ski holidays into into one winter. And it was the Winter Olympics, Vancouver 2010. Some people might remember that. Just an amazing experience. I lived in Whistler Village. I saw the, you know, that the horrible accident um, in, in the bobsled. I believe it was right. People might remember that year. Um but watching all the downhill events and it was just an incredible experience to to try and reformulate your identity and realize what's actually important because society will impress on you certain desires and beliefs and you have to sometimes realize that you've been imprinted and you haven't actually formulated these wants and desires for yourself which is why i got into investment banking right? i desired the status the prestige or the perceived prestige the financial accoutrements of everything that comes with that when actually it turns out I should have followed my original passion, which was to play professional football. And I did that. And now it's something else and it will be something else again. I'm in my late thirties now. I'm sure I'll launch myself into a different project, a different challenge once again. I think I'm very comfortable reinventing myself and and trying new projects. They don't scare me like they used to, Um, but you only get that bravery. You only get that um, confidence by throwing yourself into untested challenges and new new uncharted territories over and over again and realizing, hey, yeah, I can survive, I can do well.
1: Brilliant, I've got, I've got two questions that I'm gonna ask them both before I forget both <laughs> them. <little. laughs> Go. The first one is, how come you ended up going to Whistler and doing snowboarding out of all the things you mm-hmm. could have done? And then secondly, the reinventing yourself, do you think that is now What keeps you, like that is what excites you, is trying something new and trying to take off Mm. something else, is that your oxygen? Great question.
0: Um, Number one, why did I choose Whistler and snowboarding? I think growing up in in a subtropical country, and again, we weren't incredibly wealthy, we were comfortable, but I didn't go on ski holidays every year, I'd never set foot on a snowboard or a ski, and I just wanted to try and learn a new skill. And I think I asked some people, where was the best place on earth? A lot of them said whistler and that was enough data points for me. So off I went it, it's really that simple. And then number two, the kind of desire to reinvent myself and to take on new challenges, I think that that's everyone's oxygen, or at least it should be, right? Is to always try and struggle uphill. It's the struggling uphill that that gives you meaning and excitement and I think if I'm to try and draw a a thread through everything that I've done, all of the random careers and and things that I've worked on, it's always the common thread is putting myself in the arena, right? Whether it's a stadium of 25,000 people, whether it's being on stage as an MC and a speaker at a charity dinner, which is of course how, how you and I first came across one another, whether it's being on a podcast with someone better than me, whether it's starting a new business. I like the feeling of, Knowing that con- there will be consequences if I if I mess it up, I like I like the fact that I'm living and dying by the sword. I find that invigorating, and a corporate nine to five doesn't really scratch that itch. That's not to say that there aren't great corporate jobs out there. There are. I just haven't found one yet that 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 fits just right for me. I don't think one will ever fit after the the path. <laughs> Maybe not, I've, I've so, kind of made my, I've made myself utterly employable, unemployable by a, by a large corporate, unfortunately. So
1: yeah, it's, it's it's a knife that cuts both ways. <laughs> Let's talk about your time playing for the national team. That must've been a big occasion for yourself and for your family and friends. You played, yeah. played twice? Twice, yeah, two
0: caps, more than one, less than three, not a huge amount. <laughs> no, that, that,
1: that's irrelevant for my question. What, what was the experience yeah. like? on on each occasion
0: um i'll focus on the positives unbelievably proud unbelievably proud i think the is the culmination of everything that you you've been working towards there is no greater honor than than being in the top 11 men or women representing your your country right you can't really go any higher so i was immensely proud to pull on a shirt even though i'm you know half british half filipino i was born and raised in hong kong so i was very very proud to do that played once in hong kong um and once in china uh, in the interport cup and the one in the interport cup uh, over in guangdong was the one that really stays with me running out in front of twenty five thousand people all rooting against you actually made it better you know okay. they were so loud that to this day i can remember standing in the tunnel with the captain just about to walk out i'm just thinking to myself this is, this is crazy. Because we, when we were warming up on the pitch, you could not hear each other speak. So, you know, you're doing your little warm-up drills, doing little possession games, and you're shouting man-on to the person. He's five yards away from you. He can't hear you. It's that loud. And I've never experienced that before or since. And I'll always remember that. I'll always remember that wall of noise. Just pretty special. That's incredible. That's a lot of people, yeah. 25,000. It is. It is, yeah. And I'm sure they were being... Um, being strongly encouraged to chant um, against us, there. <laughs> but uh, it was great. It was great. You know, uh, makes it more enjoyable. To-
1: I think that's sport, but never mind football. Football's another level of we're not cheering for you. Yeah, it's very tribal. Yeah, very, very tribal. Yeah, yeah. Michael, thank you for everything you've shared so far. But we do like to offer some perhaps more specific advice for the younger audience. I'm not sure how to, to phrase the question because you've already offered so much advice. Um, you've got two young children, so perhaps I'll frame it this way. When they get to 13, 14, 18, 20, what will you encourage or share with them for, for their path and um, what they want and what they perceive to want?
0: Yeah, fantastic question. I think. I'm always a little bit reluctant when it comes to offering life advice because there is survivorship bias, right? And what works for one person doesn't work for everyone. But I think in terms of principles that work, people get rewarded in public for what they practice in private. They get rewarded in public for what they practice in private. What does that mean? When I was eight, nine, 10 years old, growing up in Hong Kong, I was not the best footballer on my team. I was one of the best, but I don't think I stood out as special in any particular way but what I did do more than anyone else was practice when no one was looking. I was obsessed, completely obsessed with football. I carried a ball every single day. I played before school, during school, after school. I practice free kicks until it got too dark for me to see. So when people see, you know, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo on TV, they only see the final rep they see the final repetition. They don't see the thousands of hours of practice when nobody's looking every great athlete every great speaker every great entrepreneur does these things in private when no one's watching that's where greatness is built so i think i try and imprint on them the fact that their abilities are not fixed and they might not be great yet right the power is in the word yet so uh, talent is merely practice in disguise i think is is probably the best
1: advice i can give fantastic nice nice short um uh, and strong advice to finish the show thank you so much for joining us today thank you for sharing your unconventional football story and also for being so honest with perhaps how you would have done it differently but also how you're completely okay with that now and i think that's that's the most important thing right so good luck for for the rest of of your ever-changing career and whatever (laughs) challenge you set yourself and i'll be here watching along thank you so much ben a real privilege
0: to be invited thank you for your time